Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Press Row. Behind the scenes stories from the world of sports media. Press Row. Inside and interviews from around the sports world. Now, here's your host, Jonah Siegel. Welcome back. Believe in the Press Row. Jonah here. Been a very long time. Happy to be back. In uh, this episode, we sit down with Kevin Donovan. Kevin is a reporter with the Toronto Star. He is um, very well known as the investigative, the chief investigative reporter for the Toronto Star. You probably see his name a lot these days as he's been uh, leading the, the brigade, if you will, into the murder investigation into the Sherman case. Uh, he's right now not talking a whole lot about that, although I probe pretty deeply as much as I can into that because there's a podcast coming out into what's where it stands. But uh, a lot of questions about the change in investigative reporting back then when he got started versus today. Uh, interesting thought on Kevin. Uh, a couple of years back, Toronto Life Magazine rated him the 39th most influential people in Toronto. I really hope you enjoy the interview with Kevin. Uh, this is the kickoff of the rebirth of In the Press Row. We're going to be doing more of these not just traditional sports media interviews as we start talking to more and more people um, outside of sports. This is again In the Press Row, Jonah Siegel here in Seattle, and this is my interview with Kevin Donovan. Welcome back in the press row. It's been a, uh, a very long time, too long, I will say. Uh, Jonah Siegel here in Seattle. It is uh, a dark and dreary morning. Yes, we are now into fall winter, I guess it is. Um, very happy to be back doing what we do. And we're going to pivot away from the world of sports media, thankfully. Um, and, and talk to somebody who I have been hounding for some time because he's been covering a story that has gone uh, worldwide exposure. Um, I'll, I'll quick with the intro and bring him on right away. He is none other than Kevin Donovan of the Toronto Star. Kevin, how are you this morning? Good. Thanks for having me on. It's a bright, uh, sunny day in Toronto, so I'm. Uh, we'll try and send that weather your way. Yeah, and I hear it's going to be beautiful in Toronto this this coming weekend. I hear uh, it's going to be eighteen ish, which is thirty six, which is roughly you know around sixty plus degrees for those south of the border. It's going to be beautiful. I don't think it's going to be that here in Seattle. I think we're, as I said, we're we're staring fall winter right in the eyes. How are you and your family doing in whatever we're calling this post COVID ish time? Uh, we're doing uh, well. Uh, my our kids are are working, uh, and uh, my wife and I are working, and and uh, we have a new puppy, uh, so uh, that keeps us busy. And hopefully, he's going to be uh, uh, sleeping for the rest of this interview. <laughs> well, I have two, and they're upstairs sleeping, and I'm hoping not to see them either. So let let's just let's pause for a second on what you're doing now. Let's go back in time. You've been at the Toronto Star for a wee bit of time. Uh, did some did some background checking, as I've seen. You've got a litany of awards that you've won. Um, how 
you've been at the star doing investigative journalism, it seems for literally ever. Um, how did you start at the star? Uh, and I just threw all those awards away actually, because, uh, you know, you can't, what are you going to do with those things? Um, <laughs> I, uh, I've been in Star for 38 years. I started as an intern in uh, 1985 uh, uh, when they'd hire uh, anybody in the, in the news business. I came out of uh, University of Western Ontario. I did not study journalism. I studied political science, but I mainly studied uh, the university newspaper and I worked there and, and was fortunate enough to get hired. And my first couple of years, I covered uh, cops and, and uh, you know, crime and neighborhood concerns and and even a few flower shows uh, which is kind of a a joke in in my business uh, and then went on to doing uh, some war coverage and and investigations and i i would i'm, I'm curious about one thing and I, I read a lot of crime fiction um you've been doing this for a long time you've covered a lot of crime cases over your career how does the relationship develop between you and the police as a journalist for a, a big name newspaper like the like the star well it's it's changed uh, over the years uh, when when i started out uh, uh, one of my first work partners was a a giant guy uh, uh, who's retired now still uh, still around uh, nick prawn and uh, nick uh, was the sort of guy that that uh, knew how to get cops to go out for beers. And I was happy enough to go along with him. Uh, I would say that, that in the first part of my career, it was easier to develop a police source than it is now. Uh, I will occasionally find a police officer that will put uh, trust uh, in, in me and provide information. Uh, my, my Sherman investigation, which has been going on for the last five years, I, I don't have any police sources, uh, the only time I I talk to the cops is when we're in a in a court of law together and I'm cross examining him. But police, uh, like so many organizations, have got the PR itis, and uh, you, if you try and reach, if you do reach out to a detective, uh, uh, just like if you re reached out to a vice president of a company, you're going to get a a call from the PR person who's going to say, "Put your questions in writing." So it's not as good as it used to be, and the problem with that is that. Uh, you know, we're all about trying to get information out to the public, and I would prefer to get the information directly from from the person who's investigating the case, and you know, can protect them as a source. They're shy about doing that these days. So, public perception tends to be that, at least, sorry, my perception tends to be that there there is or there used to be a benefit to the other side of having access to somebody like you as well. Um, even on the sports side, having a relationship with the media um, is beneficial to the executive or the team or, or what have you. I, I would imagine that your your former uh, large partner was able to provide some benefit to the officers that he had access to. You know, the fact that that doesn't exist anymore, do you think that is hurtful or not hurtful do you think they miss that on on the on the police side and not having the benefit of having media sources themselves uh yeah i do and it's not i mean we're while i'm happy to and have in times you know sat down and and uh you know 
put questions to a, a detective that would give him a sense of what I knew. And then he would, he would talk to me and tell me what he knows that, that back and forth flow of information is key in anything. And certainly in, in, in sports reporting, it's all, uh, you know, it's all reporting. It's just, we're reporting on different, different issues. And so, yeah. And I do know, for example, I did a series of stories uh, a year ago, uh, my car was stolen and I decided I'd look into, uh, in, to uh, investigate uh, car theft rings. And I did end up speaking to some police officers uh, on background. And it was really helpful because, you know, I've been writing stories saying that, you know, the uh, rank and file police are not interested in chasing down uh, car thieves. And and when I developed these sources uh, who were just, you know, detect junior uh, level detectives, they said to me, look, we'd like to do it, but the brass says, who cares about somebody's car being stolen? You know, go investigate something else. So that's just a small example of, of I had that context I was able to put into a story and, and that's helpful. And uh, uh, on big cases like uh, these high profile homicide investigations, uh, police are too worried about having to uh, explain to a court of law one day that they passed on information to the Toronto Star. They don't want to take that chance. That, that's that's what it boils down to, in my opinion. So that to me sounds like an erosion of trust more than anything, that somebody has either gotten burned or is fearful of getting burned, uh, that there's an erosion of trust in the relationship. Is that accurate? Well, it's it's not an erosion of trust because I personally have burned anyone. It's an erosion of 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 trust caused, I would say, in this case, by by the the leaders of the Toronto police force who uh, are saying, you know, you, you can't you can't speak to the media because you'll be asked about that when you're testifying in court. It my understanding is it's it's a fear not that the media is going to get it wrong. It's just that the police will be found out for speaking out of, out of school. That That's what I think it is. And, and you know, there certainly uh, are very uh, active and aggressive defense uh, counsel in, in all of our big cities. And, and sure, if they got a hold of the fact that a detective was passing information to uh, uh, a reporter, it would probably uh, uh, go a long way to helping their defense. So, I, I mean, I see both sides to it. Uh, what I like to do is, you know, get the detective over a coffee or a beer and just explain to them, like just have a conversation basically like we're talking about and just try and, and, and put it to them and explain, this is what I'm trying to do. Can you help me? And, uh, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So I Googled you last night and, uh, as I'm, as I tend to do, not you but others, uh, interview subjects. And a, a fascinating story came up first. Um, you'll be happy to know that the first thing that popped up was your net worth. I didn't click on that one. I wasn't all that interested. Yeah, but that's not mine. That's an English soccer player. <laughs> it's not uh, me. There's a lot of Kevin Donovans out there. Um, anyways, the story that came up I thought was actually really interesting because we were going to talk today is a story from Carleton University uh, for those of you in the States, Carlton is a university in Ottawa. And this, the, the story is reporter Kevin Donovan to discuss how investigative journalism is saving journalism during Carlton's Kesterton lecture, which is pretty, well, that's what I wanted to talk to you about today. 
What's interesting to me is that this is from 2015, seven years ago. Um, it'll be eight years this March when this article was written. Um, it says here that you've won a number of year awards over the years, including three national newspaper awards, two governor general awards for public service, and three Canadian Association of Journalism awards. Apparently, they're now in the recycle bin somewhere. Um, I would, you know, it talks about um, some of the cases you covered, including the awesome Rob Ford story, um, the Gomeshi case. Um, so things pivoted seven, eight years ago. I would imagine they've pivoted again, especially in this world of social media and digital media that we live in today. What was, how was investigative journalism changing so much then? And how is it changing so much today? Well, I mean, to me, the, the biggest problem with, with investigative journalism is that we don't have, I mean, I'm, I'm unusual uh, to have a full-time, uh, in fact, we have several at the Toronto Star full-time investigative reporters that aren't doing anything else. Uh, this all traces back to the, the, the rise of the internet, loss of advertising revenue for newspapers, and so you know fewer bodies to do things. And, and then a newspaper will then focus on you know what might be thought of as a core business, which is you know covering you know, daily daily uh, news stories. Uh, at the Toronto Star, we've made a practice of trying to focus on investigative reporting with some success. Uh, so, but how it's it's changed is that newsrooms, both mine and 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 most others, have fewer people to cover stories. And so to have somebody like me, uh, you know, just going out and, and investigating something uh, could be seen from the outside as kind of like a drain on resources. But what I've tried to do when I started out doing investigative reporting, I would work on a story for three months and then publish a story. Now uh, I'm in the paper a lot. I uh, I'll I get onto s certain cases that have what we call legs to them, and so I'm 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 doing uh, more stories uh, yeah. than I than I used to in, in the old model of it. So uh, the the thing is that it's you know you, we're trying to fight the forces of darkness, and so I feel that a journalist has to be in the paper to do that. Uh, and, and you have to find the big stories and, and uh, you know, I live for the front page and, and uh, um, you know, it's uh, it's exciting when you when you do a story that causes a, a change in, in public policy, which is, um, you know, what it's all about. Well, it certainly seems, unfortunately, that there's a lot of forces of darkness that we live in today. Um, topic for a different day. But so let's let's focus in the time that we have left at a high level on the case, <clears throat> the case to a certain degree that you're covering now, um, it's gotten worldwide attention. Uh, we talked offline that I was overseas in the Middle East and I got asked about it when it was fresh. Um, and that's the Sherman case. So two very well-known, uh, wealthy, charitable Canadians uh, found dead in, in their home in Toronto. 
that you have um, carried the torch on ensuring that the investigation into what happened to these two individuals uh, remains front and center in, in the spotlight. Uh, I'm avoiding the word murder and, and other things because if I, I, I would say comfortably that if it wasn't for the work that you've done, the public would have no idea that this case actually is unsolved or on, ongoing because it seems to me that the, the Toronto police really have not done very much in the absence of you pushing very hard. Yeah, I mean, the, the Sherman case, you know, was a, uh, and is a big story started in uh, five years ago in late 2017. Shocking to me, it's been five years. Uh, my initial contribution to the story was uh, was in uh, getting sources that would uh, talk to me about the the crime scene and what the pathology and the autopsies discovered. And and I did a story six weeks after at a time when the police were saying through sources that it was a murder suicide and my story turned that on its head and the police came out a couple of days later uh, after doing a little bit of homework and said yes it's a double double murder uh since that time the police have not given out really any information at all and so i have uh, put on my i'm not a lawyer i know you're a lawyer i'm not a lawyer but i've become quite uh, skilled or at least efficient in in going to court and and cross-examining the lone detective on the case every six months. And, and from that, uh, a number of uh, thousands of pages of documents, police documents have been unsealed, which detail a lot of the missteps of the police and, and, uh, and you know, uh, the various theories that, they, that they've explored. And uh, so that's, uh, that has, has kept the, the story alive. Um, the, the thing is that I, I do wonder if I wasn't, doing this would the police actually be doing anything am i actually making them still investigate yeah so dear friends in the audience uh respectfully kevin is working on his own podcast of this so that's why we're not going to get into the x's and o's in the story he he has promised to come back once that's out so we can do that um so that's why i'm not diving deep into that i am going to ask a couple of questions and if he deflects that is why he is doing so respectfully um, I am curious about one thing that you just said, though. So it seems to me that if you don't pick up the torch, or, or in this case, if you don't become the dog with the bone, which clearly you have become, um, and I and I say that positively, it it's clear to me that this story would have ad gone adrift. Um, I would imagine that the police aren't too thrilled i'd like to think that the family are thrilled that at least somebody is doing something to figure out what the bleep has happened here true uh well certainly the the close friends of the shermans are are pleased uh i i still maintain close contact with with uh i would say all of them um, the family, I have interviewed members of the family. Uh, they, uh, it's a, they're a private family. They uh, do not like the spotlight. Uh, they had a tortuous relationship with the police in the very start because they were uh, angry that the police were, were 
apparently saying that it was a murder suicide and, and that upset them. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I can tell you that one of the one of the children is very pleased with with what I'm doing. The other ones, uh, it's it's un, it's unclear. It's unclear to me. Um, but I don't do these investigations to to please really anybody. I just do it to try and inform the reader. And and the reason that I have been a dog with the bone with this is that beyond the story of the Shermans, which is a, you know, a terrible crime, there are lots of other terrible crimes that that happen. And what I'm trying to do is is shine a spotlight on how our our police in the modern world do an investigation, in this case, not very well, uh, to try and you know somehow push them to doing a better job the next time. Uh, I do uh, know that some police do a great job, but in this case, they have not done a good job, and that's why I'm holding their uh, their feet to the flames. So as somebody who, as I said, I, I read a lot of crime fiction... I'd like to think that the folks that I read spend a lot of based on about the authors and when they do the thank yous in the books and the people that they're thanking that they spend a lot of time doing their research. You're spending a lot of time doing your research. It seems to me that there's somebody or somebody's on the Toronto police force in this case, that's a lot more like Jacques Clouseau, uh, than like other detectives and that the the residents of Toronto should be concerned that that's what was going on because it seems like at every turn in this case, that's what was going on. Um, just repeatedly sloppy detective work. That's, yeah. That's... And, and yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and one of the things that, that I learned recently in my cross examination of this lone detective, I said, you know, is there a, a process in the police force uh, as there is uh, in companies and universities and, and newspapers where you, you look at how you handled something and you, you look at be best practices and see if, if you, if you've uh, lived up to them. And apparently there isn't, I mean, you have your boss and your boss might tell you, you did a good job or not a good job, but there's no process. And so, I mean, in Toronto, we've had, uh, in fact, exactly at the time that this case began, there was a, a series of of, uh, of murders of of uh, men that went unsolved for years, and uh, and the police uh, uh, completely missed it. And in that case, there was scrutiny brought to bear after the fact to see if the job was done well. The Sherman case, I, I'm the only scrutiny. Like, there's not going to be a, a a commission to to look at how they did their job. And so, yeah, I think people should be concerned. Um, one of the things that I'm working on right now is a story on some other cases that happened at the same time, and I'm and they're unsolved, uh, as is this one. And I'm trying to trying to see, well, did they make the same mistakes there? Did they have the same efforts? Uh, so stay tuned for that one. That'll be my anniversary piece. Yeah, I, I seem to recall some noise about the fact that, and correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe I'm making this up, but I, I seem to recall some noise about the fact that the mayor got involved in this and was was and there was some why is the mayor getting involved in this case, but not other cases? You know, again, when when you watch television and there's a lot of crime TV. The Wire comes to mind immediately and, and other shows like it. 
that when there's a high profile case, the officers on it team tend to get pretty upset. And there's a lot of politics about who gets, which detectives get the case was, does that not, ha did that not happen here? And like, did they not no. put their, did they not put their best on this case? No. And, and I wish they had, uh, what, what happened, uh, and what happens routinely in, in Toronto is that there is a, a rotation. Uh, there's a, a number of, of, of squads of homicide detectives and, and this particular one uh, fell to a detective sergeant named Susan Gomes. She doesn't even go to the crime scene when the bodies are there. She doesn't go to the crime scene for four days. <laughs> and uh, I mean, you know, you watch Law and Order. What's that opening scene? The detectives go to the crime scene. And right. I know lots of former homicide detectives and they're just appalled by this. Uh, so and that's kind of where where it, it begins on this one and then there's lots of she's not the only one that made mistakes but there there were lots of them made uh i am surprised that they didn't uh reassign after a couple of days uh you know bring in somebody else but they just didn't uh it's uh uh i i keep hoping i'm gonna find jonah something that's going to explain this that maybe they've had some theory from the very beginning and this is just smoke and mirrors but I'm not getting any sense of that. I think it's just uh, a case of incompetence. Okay, so they're incompetent then. Fine. Uh, I don't know if if you have kids, but I do, and I always I tell. Yes. Okay, so the lesson I always tell my kids is that the only the only thing bad that comes out of bad experiences is not learning from them. So you, you there's been unfortunately other murders. And other unfortunate cases in the last five years in Toronto, more than one or two. Uh, since you've been the dog with the bone, have they made changes to a system? Have they learned anything from this? Have they implemented systems to try to ensure that this doesn't happen again? Well, if they have, they've not shared that with me. I will say that the, the new head, well, new last three years, head of homicide in, in Toronto is uh, somebody with, uh, you know, is kind of going in the right direction. So, so presumably that is happening. Uh, and, you know, we'll, we'll see what the fruits of, of that are uh, going down the road. I, I don't know. So you're, you're going to do a podcast. I, I'll, I'll leave it to you. Do you want to, and, and you can say, no, that's fine. Do you want to give an update on on where things are in the case? And, and oh, yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I'm happy to do that I, I, because I'm, I'm just telling you about stories that have been in the Toronto Star in the last uh, two weeks. Um, I was back in court uh, uh, tr uh, trying to get more of these police documents, their their search warrant documents unsealed, and, and just for your listeners, a, a search warrant, uh, a, an order from a judge allowing for a search warrant might be several you know 100 pages long lots of witness statements lots of interesting bits of information that that for me really is gold uh so what i learned is that uh the case has uh has kind of left the canadian the borders of canada they are looking for information uh some sort of data could be financial information i, I don't know what it is uh from five countries uh, they won't say which countries they are Two of them are countries that Canada has a, a treaty relationship with. Could United States is an example of that. I don't know if it's United States. Uh, and uh, three of them are countries that we do not have a relationship with. Uh, so that's one of the things that they're doing. 
the other thing is, uh, and this is not, you know, answering your question of going forward, but I did learn during this process, another mistake that the police made. So, so they, you know, collect uh, mountains of video from the you know, surveillance around the Sherman home. Uh, and it was at a time when people were saying, you know, this is a, this ha could have some international element. I mean, these, it looks like there's somebody came in maybe from another country and killed them and left. So it uh, turns out they didn't check uh, any of the airports for uh, for surveillance uh, to see if the person that there's this person seen uh, near the Sherman home that they believe is the killer. He has a distinctive look and a distinctive limp. And, you know, they don't even check the airport. So I was actually really disappointed to when the detective said they never checked because, yes, it made for an interesting story. But it also is just you get a sense of why they didn't uh, why they didn't get anywhere on this. So so what's going to happen over the next uh, months and, and in fact, probably even more than a year is they're going to go through a cumbersome process to get information from these five countries. And they hope that that will help them find their needle in the haystack. But uh, I, I haven't seen that they're, this is more than what I put to the detective as a Hail Mary, um, that they're just, they're, they're grasping at straws at this point, five years in. Has the family moved, moved on as an awful term, but as it relates to the criminal investigation, have they moved on? Are they doing their own thing or? Yeah, I mean, they, one of the daughters, there's four children. Uh, she's a registered nurse by, by training, but she's now becoming a singer. Uh, the, the, the son, the, the lone son has his own, uh, has a storage business. Uh, the other two are pursuing various pursuits around the world. Uh, they're not a close family. This was not a happy family situation uh, at, at the start. Uh, uh, you know, Barry and Honey uh, may not have been the best parents. Uh, they're very close to the children of their their good friends, but not with their own children, which is, is sad. So so there's not there's not, a, you know, public events. Uh, we're not seeing any of the Sherman kids out there. I mean, when Barry and Honey died, they left this tremendous hole in the the Jewish philanthropic community in Toronto. I mean, they gave away hundreds of millions of dollars and and were at all the particularly honey was at all these events, she was on all these committees and and so they no, they're not uh, while they may still be giving some money, they won't say how much, uh they're not they're not their parents. Uh, that that's for sure. No, my sorry, sorry, my my question was are they trying to pursue what happened independently of what the police are doing? Oh, yeah. Well, so they did for the first two years. They hired uh, a prominent to Toronto lawyer who had a team of private investigators who were trying to do a kind of a second check on anything that the police did. Uh, they were doing their own interviews. That ended. Uh, they were instructed to give all their information to the police. Um, Jonathan, uh, Barry and Honey's son, has pursued his own private investigation uh, with uh, a lawyer out of New York, actually. Um, I, I don't think he's turned up uh, anything. But, uh, you know, so he still uh, says he's committed to to finding out who killed his mother and father. So I'll leave you with this question then. Um, knowing what you know, who's involved, do you have 
if you were going to go to Vegas and place a bet, do you think this this puzzle will ever be solved, or is it going to move to the to the cold case file? Uh, well, I think it probably will move to the cold case file. I, I noticed the other day that uh, after five years, most cases are unsolved are actually classified as cold cases in the Toronto Police, and we're now at five years. Um, but I, you know, someday somebody's going to come forward and give some piece of information. Uh, uh, for sure, but that could be 10 or 20 years from now. Uh, uh, I, I'm not seeing anything around the corner. So you're not optimistic? Well, I'm a bit of a Pollyanna in life. I <laughs> think that you know good things will, will happen. I, I'm not going away on this story. I'm, I'm going to keep doing exactly what I'm doing on it. And, and unlike the police, I still conduct interviews with people and look for a new piece of information and write stories about it for the Toronto Star. Uh, but... Uh, I, I don't feel like anything is around the corner. That, that's all. Uh, I have no optimism of anything around the corner, but I have optimism that it'll one day be solved. Yes. Well, it's uh, it's really been fascinating as a reader to watch a scribe carry the torch on uncovering the truth with the with the degree of veracity that you've been doing it. I mean, I don't know of of having front row seats to watching a writer do it with the, with the way that you have. Um, I, 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 well, I, thank I, you. I haven't seen it in the States where a writer has gone to court and is cross-examining police to try and get freedom of information. I mean, it may happen, but I certainly don't see it. I'm not aware of it. Uh, if it happens, we don't yeah. hear about it. We it's don't a, read about it. Um, it's a, it's a niche. It's a niche thing. And I've just, I've discovered it's fun. Well, I think that, the reader is better for it. And I think that uh, my, again, my hope, the, o- the only bad lesson, the only bad experience is one that we don't learn from. And I hope that someone in the mayor's office and government and the police is, is looking at this and saying, look, like, yeah, people do make mistakes. We all make mistakes. And that if there are procedural mistakes that people were making, how do we put in case, how do we put in place changes that ensure that this doesn't happen again that's all and then and the only regrettable thing is if we don't and i would imagine that with a high profile case that somebody has seen and not to just lay blame on one person there's probably a systematic breakdown in something that could be repaired i agree 100 percent. well we will be looking forward to your podcast and, and having you back uh it is fair to say this is not the only thing that kevin kevin carries covers uh so keep an eye on the star and other stories uh and he has promised to come back once his podcast is live i really appreciate you doing this today and death in a small town is my other uh podcast about please screw up so uh check that out i'm sure you can find it wherever you get all of your podcasts including this one and uh we will catch you next time in the press row jonah press row hope you enjoyed today's interview with kevin donovan more to come down the road If you want to be on the press row, you can reach me. If you want to have any questions, you can reach me. DMs are always open at YYZ Sports Media. Email Jonah at YYZ Sports Media. Thank you for listening. See you next time in the press row. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.